Today's message is called, Where There is Grace, There is Sin. Where there is grace, there is sin. And I think that so many times, and, and I am probably a product of it as well, when I was in Sunday school as a kid and the many vacation Bible schools, we learn about Noah, we see the giraffe and the lion on the bow of the boat with, with Noah, and, and we learn about the animals coming on and the, the animals coming off and, and the flood and the waters recede and, and the dove and the, and the olive branch and all of those great things. But they never told me the rest of the story. They never went on to chapter 9. And I feel like it would be a disservice to, talk, to not go on to chapter 9. Because quite honestly, we see Noah, who was a man of faith, a man who God remembered, a man who God used to save the entire humanity. We see a man after God's own heart truly mess it up. And that's one thing I love about the Old Testament heroes and even our, our New Testament disciples is these men were people that followed and they had faith. But listen, church, they were not perfect. And where there is God's grace, you will find man's sin. Where there is God's grace, you will find man's sin. I want to tell you about a man. His name is John Newton. Some of you might know him. Uh, I'm sure Tammy does. But I just wanted to give you a few facts about John Newton. John Newton was born in Wapping, London in 1725. His father was a merchant in the shipping industry. And his spiritual influence came from the fact that his father was Catholic and his mother was from the Anglican Church, which is the, the English Church, the Church of England. Uh, his mother died when he was only six years old. Six years old. And he was raised by his stepmother mostly because his dad was off at sea so many times working on the boats. And at the age of 11, John Newton joined his father on the boat as an apprentice. Much of his teenage life was spent Doubting his faith and sowing his youthful oats. If there was ever a description of the teenage years, it would be that. Doubting our faith and sowing our oats. But he was pressured into the Royal Navy, then onto working slave ships. And you know what? He was known for something. You want to know what he was known for? He was known for writing unflattering, vulgar, and insubordinate poems and songs about his captain. That's one thing to be noted for, isn't it? Yeah, that's the guy that talks about the boss. And they, the songs and the poems were so funny. And they were so good that the crew members started to pick up on them. I can just imagine them all singing it in a room and all of a sudden the captain walks in. Talk about awkward. Well, the crew, as I said, began to repeat them. And they were thrown into a raging storm. And it was... It was moving so rough and so hard that it threw John Newton off the boat. But the, the men did not respect him, and the captain surely did not. So they had boats to rescue people that fall over, but they didn't send him one. You know what they sent him? A harpoon. 
They threw a harpoon rope out there and they drug him along until they finally got him into the boat. So he certainly didn't have the respect of his crew. And if you'd ever heard the term, that person cussed like a sailor, John Newton would make a sailor blush with all of the things that he said. I can just see a sailor now just taking notes on everything that the guy is saying. Uh, but it was reported that Newton could even make a sailor blush with his speech and his actions. And his behavior and his poor choices led him to being chained on the very boat that the slaves were on that he was working. Well, in 1748, John Newton came probably the closest to death that he'd ever been. They were on a ship called the Greyhound, and there was a storm so severe that the men tied themselves to the boat so that they would not go over. You've probably seen on the Discovery Channel, The Deadliest Catch. I mean, they're up to the 10th season now, and you see these just torrents of water just wash over the boat. Well, this is what they were going through. The storm was so bad that the livestock that was on the boat got washed off. It was death. They thought they were at the end. But the storm did pass, and their biggest task for the next few weeks was to man the pumps to get the water out of the boat to make sure that she would stay afloat. Food rations became so low that they were afraid of starving. And when they finally reached port in Ireland, Newton began a sincere effort to become right with God. It's amazing that God will take us to the very end so that we can see Him. He takes us to the bottom to where there is nowhere else to look but up. Well, as the ship sailed home, Newton began to read his Bible. Just read his Bible. I have heard story after story after story about men and women and teenagers and children that have been searching for God and they didn't know what to do. So they just opened the Bible and God led them to a passage. So here, John Newton is reading the Bible. This was John Newton's crisis of belief. Do you know what a crisis of belief is? Uh, Henry Blackaby in his series called Experiencing God talks about a crisis of belief to where there is a point to where God is going to call you to do something and you either have to put up or shut up. That is the unseminary definition of what that is. What was Noah's crisis of belief? Build an ark, there's going to be a flood, even though you've never seen rain. And so, Moses, I mean, Noah did not understand it. Noah just did it because he was a man of faith. What is your crisis of belief today? What has God called you to do? Is it to, to love Him, to serve Him, to come to Him and accept Him as your Savior and Lord? Or is it to do something in the church, to do something with a family member, to forgive someone, to love someone, to tell someone about Him? What is your crisis of belief? Because John Newton came to a crisis of belief. God brought him to the point to where he was ready to listen. And John Newton wrote, like an unwary sailor who quits his port just before a rising storm, 
I renounced the hopes and comfort of the gospel at the very time when every other comfort was about to fail me. Another way of saying that is, is I rejected the gospel. I rejected Jesus when everything else I did to comfort me was failing me. There are so many people that I see that are addicted to substances, to drugs, to alcohol, to relationships, to destructive behaviors. And it takes them down further and further and further. And they reject the love of God every single step of the way until they get to the bottom. And there is nowhere else to look but up. But unfortunately for some, when they reach to the bottom, that's the end. But John Newton... God led John Newton to a point to where he realized four things. And this is what John Newton realized. He realized that in his present condition, that he was a sinner before God. Romans 3.23 showed him that. He also knew that he could not save himself from eternal punishment. Romans 6.23 showed him that. He realized that Christ had paid for his sins and... His punishment of his death on the cross. He realized that from Romans 5.8. And then finally he realized that he must accept the crucifixion as payment for his sins personally. Romans 10.13 showed him that. John Newton, after that he was getting his life right. He married his teenage sweetheart named Mary Catlett. During the following 14 years... He continued studying for the ministry and at age 39 became a pastor. Isn't that funny? A cussing sailor becoming a pastor. Pastor in only England. And in 1779. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Woo! Y'all hold on. It's going to be a good one. Must have been the wind. But anyway... He published a hymn called The Only Hymns, in which he placed 281 of his own works. Remember, he was used to writing nasty songs about his boss. And now he's putting together a hymn book? That sailor that was once known for his vulgar and insulting songs was now able to write this. Show this on the screen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When you read that hymn, when you sing that hymn, hopefully next time you will understand the depths of the sin from which the author was forgiven. Folks, where there is grace, There is sin. Now, it kind of seems like that's backwards. I should say, where there is sin, there is grace. That preaches much better, doesn't it? Amen. There's sin, but there's grace. But hold on, church. Where there is grace, there is sin. Has there ever been anybody in here that accepted God's grace and accepted his forgiveness, and accepted his sin, I mean, accepted his payment for our sin, and then had a perfect, temptation-free life after that. No. We see men of God, women of God, bosses, family members that we thought would always be spiritual leaders that have fallen to the depths of deceit. John Newton 
found that sin abounds in the world. We do not have to search far for the things that are not of God. They seek to find us out, do they not? And like an anchor in the storm, God's amazing grace brings us to God and breaks us out of sin's deadly grasp. Let me ask you this. What made the difference in John Newton's life? Was it the storm? No. Was it his wife? Partially. Was it the storm? Partially. What made the difference in John Newton's life? God's amazing grace. And what is going to make a difference in your life today? God's amazing grace. All of that to paint the picture for where we find Noah right now. And the first thing that we see is that God blesses humanity. In verses 1 through 11, God blesses humanity. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, this is verse 1 of chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And all of Noah's sons said, yes. They were excited about that, were they not? The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Verse 3 says, Every living creature will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I've given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. We see capital punishment right there in those verses. Whoever sheds a man's blood, his blood will be shed by man. For God made man in his image. For us to insult the character. For us to kill someone's character. For us to cause drama. For us to kill someone. We are killing someone that is in the image of God. Bullying people that talk down to people because they feel like that they are better than them. They are downgrading the image of God. When you look in the mirror, you might not see it, but you see a reflection of God. On Sunday mornings, when I look out in this congregation, whether you've got a smile on your face, a scowl on your face, or a blank look on your face, I still see the image of God. And we see, but you will be faithful and faithful. You will be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature is with you. Birds, livestock, and the wildlife on the earth are with you. All the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. And in verse 11, I confirm, I confirm my covenant with you that never will all flesh be wiped out by the waters of a deluge. There will never again be a deluge to destroy the earth. God made a promise to Noah that he blessed Noah that we are still blessed by today. What is that? He has blessed us to know that we are never going to be destroyed by water again. In verses 1 and 7, he repeats something. 
He repeats, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to understand something. This is not a, 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 a sex talk, but I will tell you this. That human reproduction is a gift that is ordained by God. It is sacred and it has a purpose. But Satan has destroyed that. They are like two trains on a parallel track heading towards different destinations. We can see throughout the Bible how God used reproduction to bring Jesus Christ into the world. But we can also see how it has spawned evil person after evil person after evil person. You know, it's very likely that if abortion was a popular back when Jesus, before Jesus was born, it's likely that he might not have been born. Life is a gift. We need to remember that. And God concludes his covenant with Noah in verses 8 through 11. The covenant that God initiated with Noah. You realize that, right? Who approached Noah? Tell me, church, who approached Noah? God did. So that means God initiated it. So when God comes to you and he puts you in trying times... God has initiated it. But when God initiates it, He also gives His hand to support us. God promises that He will never destroy the world by water again. But also, not only does He bless humanity, He gives humanity something that we love. And that is hope. God gives humanity hope. We see in verses 12 through 20, we see that, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow or my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth, The bow, or as we know, the rainbow, appears in the clouds. I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Water will never again become a deluge and destroy all flesh. The bow bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh and earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and all flesh on earth. Verse 18, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. What we see here is that God gives us a sign or an affirmation that he is going to give us his grace. We can still see that sign today. It is called a rainbow. A rainbow is significant. When you see the next time you see a rainbow, I want you to remember this. God is with us. That we still live within his promises. Though our bodies may fail, though this, work, though this earth may become more destructive, God is still with us. And we are recipients of his grace because it says in this passage that he, he blesses them in all future generations. That's you. That's your children. That's your grandchildren. That's your great great grandchildren and, and on and on and on. 
And for the third time we see Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. He was trying to get that point across. But also we see God places us in a field to serve. Like, just like Adam, Noah's job had shifted from boat builder to farmer. Do you realize that? When Noah stepped off of the ark, he became the next Adam. Except there's a difference. In Eden, there was no sin. The animals would come to, Noah, come to Adam. And Adam would take care of them. He would name them. He would do all of these things. But we see in the passage we just read that when Noah steps off of the boat with the animals, they are scared of man. Just like if you were to be walking in the woods and you saw a deer and the deer gets scared of you and runs. This is where it began. Right here. So watch out for those killer deer. They can get you. There's a long story behind that. I'll make it real short. When we were living in the apartments, there were deer that were, there were like five or six deer that would always walk through the apartments and stuff like that. And Don would always say, those are killer deer. Those deer will kill people. So we had a, uh, a laugh about that. And I just imagine this evil deer, you know, <laughs> coming out to get you. But, um, you know, inside joke, I probably should have left that alone. But, hey. What we see here, just like for Noah, his job changed throughout the years. Your job changed as well. One day you were dating someone. The next day, you are a father or a mother. You are a worker, a co-worker. Now many of you are retired. You're a parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, on and on and on. But God places us in the field to serve. But here is the biggest thing. Here's where everybody that tells the Noah story stops. So just hang with me for about five more minutes and understand this. This is where the, the cute... The, can I just use the podium? Because this is like really messing up. Um... That's where the Bible story is in. That, that was cute. So far, everything's been nice. But what we see here is that be, beware of this church. Beware of temptation that it comes after your greatest victories. Beware of the temptation that comes after your greatest victories. Our tendency is to ease up when conflict lessons. I can remember being back in school or even, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you. Sunday night, when I, come, when I go home and I'm melting to my recliner, I'm like, oh, God, you are good. But I'm worn out. And it is so easy in those moments to say, woohoo, we made it through another Sunday. This happened, and this happened, and this happened. And it's so easy to lay back and just say, ah, oh, just forget it all. It's in those moments after we have had great victories is where temptation comes and it knocks on the door because we, are, we don't have our guard up. We're tired of fighting and we are ready just to just kind of be ourselves. And it is in those moments where temptation strikes. We see in uh, verse, well, actually, we see in 1 Corinthians ten twelve it says, the Apostle Paul says, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. I remember as a teenager saying there were things I would never do that I found myself doing them. Never say never, folks. We are here and the things that we do are but by the grace of God. And we see that we are very vulnerable 
Even Noah was vulnerable. Every Christian is capable of committing even the worst, most heinous of sins. How do we keep from sinning as Christians? We're strong enough to have people hold us accountable. Accountability is something that we all say we want, but we very rarely take, and we're too scared to give. If there had been leaders that have been accountable, there's a lot of things in this world that would not have happened. Take Washington, for example. The people that we vote for, yes, we can vote for them, but are they really accountable to us? It's doubtful. Well, let's pick up the last of the story. And I have to preach it because it's in here. Verses 21 through 29, we see where there is grace, there is sin. Starting in verse 21. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. Is there anything wrong with planting a vineyard? He wanted some grapes, right? Well, verse 21, he drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Now, from the point in that verse to where he planted a vineyard to the fact that he had wine was about two years. It takes about two years at least for grapes to mature to the point to have wine made. Now, this is not a sermon on drinking, but I can tell you what. He got drunk and he made some poor decisions. I could tell you hours of stories of people that I know that made terrible decisions under the influence of something. And here was Noah, a man who God loved, a man who saved humanity by God's grace, that for two years he, he did everything that God commanded him. But in one moment, one terrible moment of decision, he got drunk. He was not perfect, but he was a man of faith. And what happens when he gets drunk? Well, let's, let's pick it up. Verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and said, Ugh. No, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> Y'all don't get used to me one day. Canaan saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then, First of all, if you see your dad naked, why do you want to go tell somebody else? Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders. And walking backwards, they uncovered their father's nakedness. There you go. Thank you. Their face, faces were turned away and they did not see their father naked. And to that we say, Amen. When Noah awoke from his drinking, he learned what the youngest son had done to him. Whoa. Can you imagine Finally, when the buzz goes away and the headache is there after a long night. He didn't really do anything bad, folks. He just got drunk and went to sleep. But folks, we're in vulnerable positions when we're asleep, are we not? And he dishonored himself. And we see that when Noah awoke from his drinking, he learned what the youngest son had done to him. He said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, praise the Lord, the God of Shem, Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth 
and will dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. Now Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so Noah's life lasted 950 years when he died. You think 80 is old. You'd still be teething back then. I cannot... God, thank you for not making us live that much that long. Why did, again, why did people live that long? Because we needed to multiply and, and be fruitful and fill the earth, right? Well, we see a creation parallel here. Adam had sinned by consuming fruit. Noah had sinned by consuming wine. We see in verse 20 that Noah planted a vineyard again. Like I said, there was about two years in between this. And so we see, just like in the Garden of Eden, sin has affected mankind. Innocence was lost. And mankind was filled with shame. Because the thing is, is that, you know, we're not on a middle school level here. When Noah was naked, when you see someone that was naked, whether it be either Adam and Eve in the garden, or whether you see Noah... In his own tent, nakedness and shame went hand in hand. Nakedness and shame went hand in hand. Why are we in a pitfall today? Because there is no shame in what we do. We would rather come out of the closet than clean. We would rather stand on political correctness rather than what the Bible says. And so we see, just like in Eden, we see in the new earth that sin affected mankind. And so when it says that he was uncovered, means that he was disgracefully exposed. And also we see that, I, listen, you might not think this. You might think that your sin is your sin and you don't have to worry about anybody else. But here is the fact, Jack. Your sin affects other people. Whether you see it in this life or not. Noah's lapse of judgment affected his children. Noah knew he was making a bad choice. He didn't just, it's not like he said, whoops, that was one drink too many. He knew what was happening. Noah's sin reminds us that anyone, even the man who saved the world, stumbled in sin. I cannot stand three-legged races. You ever been in a three-legged race? Oh, my goodness. I would rather break my leg than have to do one of those things. Sometimes you do both. But you're sitting there and you're paired up with somebody and, and you tie their leg to their leg and, then, and, they, and you try to walk with each other. And you try to get across the line faster than everybody else. But when you fall down, your partner does too. There's no such thing as sinning alone. When we fall, it usually takes somebody with us. Now, Noah was a wise and discerning man, but undoubtedly before the flood, plenty of people got drunk. Drinking was part of the, the, the culture there, as it is today. Noah knew better, but Noah was far from naive. It's not like he, went, he was like, you know, you're walking through the woods and you see a snake and you go, ah, or whatever you do. It's like, dear Lord, you know that, 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 that wine was in that bottle and it poured itself into that, that glass and it made my hand grab it. I, would, I didn't have a choice, God, and it made me drink it. 
And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. No, he knew what he was doing. He had seen what he had done to the civilization that had just been perished. He knew what the problem was with that. But yet, he he made a poor choice, folks. You will make a poor choice. I have made poor choices. Now, we see this, that Noah was a wise and discerning man, but undoubtedly, this was a great man of God who sinned with his eyes wide open. He sinned with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, because of that, I want to say real fast, you know, when, I, when I've read this passage before, I thought, you know, when his son Ham saw him naked, it's kind of like, what was that old uh, Ray Stevens song? Are you naked? Which one was that? The streaker. Oh, yes, they call him the streak. There he goes, boogity boogity, that kind of thing. Now, that's cute. You know, that, that's a cute song. And, and y'all in church, you shouldn't know that song. So this office will be full in just a moment. I'm picking with you, but. When Ham saw his father naked and he went to tell his brothers, it wasn't one of those things where he said, <laughs> hey, come look at this. Ham disrespected his father. He intentionally went to get his brothers so that his dad would be dishonored in front of all three of them. The root of him going to get his brothers was selfishness and sin. And we see from the passage that his brothers didn't give in to that. They didn't want to see that, and quite honestly, I don't blame them. But what were the repercussions of that? Ham's heart was intent on mocking his father and undermining the authority of this man of God. He did nothing to preserve his dignity. What we sin, excuse me, what we see is that sin has consequences and judgment. Because where there is grace, there is is sin. There was grace in Noah's life. But even in the midst of Noah's life and all of the great things he did, sin still crept into his life. Because he didn't, he, he didn't have people holding him accountable. And here he is, a man of God that has fallen. Well, what we see next is that Noah woke up with the worst hangover ever, of course. What do you think he felt like when he realized what he had done? Noah had nowhere to turn at this point except God's grace. And then we see him put judgment on a sinful people. There again, we know even from the point where the raven went out and never returned to the ark, that there is sin and death in the world. So now, just as when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and sin was introduced into this world, we see sin introduced again to where Ham curses Excuse me, Noah curses Ham, his son, Canaan. Canaan was Ham's youngest son, and he would be slaves to the family of his uncle Shem and his uncle Japheth. Centuries later, you ever heard of the Canaanites? They were descendants of Canaan. They would be sent into slavery by the Israelites. Why does this first, excuse me, why does this curse fall on Canaan because Canaan is cursed by having Ham as his father. And the history is pretty stunning here. One day a son dishonors his dad 
And as a result, a society has been obliterated with rebellion. Ham's sin not only affected his son, but an entire generation. Through that gaze, through that act of being divisive and dishonoring to his father, sin has entered the world once again. But we see every story has an ending. In reality, in reality, folks, we write our own obituaries. You know that? I, I've sat down with families and they struck. You know what their biggest struggle in an obituary is? Not leaving somebody out so they don't get mad. But the life, what's accomplished, that's already been written. Our hero here dies at the ripe old age of 950 years. What life lessons can we take from Noah as we close this morning? What can we learn from this five-week journey that we've taken with Noah? And I'm sorry, the, the, the well, you see that pretty good, I guess, some of you. But what we see is that God is faithful to those who are faithful to Him. God doesn't want your per- perfection. He wants your faith. He wants your trust. And He wants your love. God is faithful to those who are faithful. If God has not been faithful to you, how faithful have you been to Him? God does not always protect us from trouble. Sometimes He proves that He cares. What that means is, sometimes He employs tough love to let us get ourselves into a situation to where we need to know that He's there. Obedience is not a one-time decision. It, it wasn't just when Noah said, yes, I will build the ark. It's a long-term commitment. And then finally, we may be faithful, but our sinful nature will always seek to have control of our lives. If you've lost your battle with sin, folks, if you're here today, and you have got sin in your life that has taken you down. The only way to get rid of it is to confess, forgive, forgive others, forgive yourself, and repent. That means to walk away from it. It's not too late for you. You've lost your battle. Okay, I get that. Give God the next one. Give God, if you've lost this battle, chalk it off, give Him the next one. If you fall into that same temptation, chalk it off, move to the next one. Move on. Give it to God and allow Him to work. It's so exciting to see people that are saved and then the next day they feel like they ought to be perfect and they screw up and like, oh, oh, I'm lost, preacher. Oh, you just don't understand. I'm not perfect. Where in the Bible does it say that we have to be perfect for God to love us? If we were perfect, He wouldn't have needed to send Jesus. And His grace is there to cover your sin today, my friend. It's never too late to repent. Our sin is serious and it has real consequences. It's serious to God. But you are not too far gone this morning to be forgiven. Jesus' blood is enough. Say that with me. Jesus' blood is enough. 
One more time. Jesus' blood is enough. Enough for what? Anything. God wants to hold you in His arms again. God wants you to walk in purity and holiness. God wants to open the door to you today because He may close it tomorrow, just like in the ark. Noah didn't open the, open the door. He didn't close the door of the ark. God did. Understand that. You coming to God is not on your timetable when you feel like you're ready. When God calls you, He calls. So when that door opens, you better walk through it because you do not know when it's going to be closed. Please, today, experience God's amazing grace. Would you stand? Let's have our invitation. If you want to come forward and accept Christ, join the church, or you have a prayer need, this invitation is for you. Amazing grace, how sweet.